Fear. How can the poem and the stink and the grating noise, the quality of light, the tone, the habit, and the dream, be set down alive? When you collect marine animals, there are certain flat worms so delicate that they are almost impossible to capture whole, for they break and tatter under the touch. You must let them ooze and crawl of their own will onto a knife blade, and then lift them gently into your bottle of seawater. And perhaps that might be the way to write this book, to open the page and to let the stories crawl in by themselves. Chapter One Li Chong's grocery, while not a model of neatness, was a miracle of supply. It was small and crowded, but within its single room a man could find everything he wanted, or wanted to live and to be happy. Clothes, food, both fresh and canned, liquor, tobacco, fishing equipment, machinery, boats, cordage, caps, pork chops— you could buy at Lee Chong's a pair of slippers, a silk kimono, a quarter pint of whiskey, and a cigar. You could work out combinations to fit almost any mood. The one commodity Lee Chong did not keep could be had across the lot at Dora's. The grocery opened at dawn and did not close until the last wandering vagrant dime had been spent or retired for the night. Not that Lee Chong was avaricious, he wasn't, but if one wanted to spend money, he was available. Lee's position in the community surprised him as much as he could be surprised. Over the course of the years, everyone in Cannery Row owed him money. He never pressed his clients, but when the bill became too large, Lee cut off credit. Rather than walk into the town up the hill, the client usually paid or tried to. Lee was round-faced and courteous. He spoke a stately English without ever using the letter R. When the Tong Wars were going on in California, it happened now and then that Lee found a price on his head. Then he would go secretly to San Francisco and enter a hospital until the trouble blew over. What he did with his money, no one ever knew. Perhaps he didn't get it. Maybe his wealth was entirely in unpaid bills, but he lived well, and he had the respect of all his neighbors. He trusted his clients until further trust became ridiculous. Sometimes he made business errors, but even these he turned to advantage in goodwill, if in no other way. It was that way with the palace flophouse and grill. Anyone but Lee Chong would have considered the transaction a total loss. Li Chong's station in the grocery was behind the cigar counter. The cash register was then on his left and the abacus on his right. Inside the glass case were the brown cigars, the cigarettes, the Bull Durham, the Duke's Mixture, the Five Brothers, while behind him in racks on the wall were the pints, half-pints, and quarters of Old Green River, Old Townhouse, Old Colonel— and the favorite, Old Tennessee, 
a blended whiskey guaranteed four months old, very cheap, and known in the neighborhood as old tennis shoes. Lee Chong did not stand between the whiskey and the customers without reason. Some very practical minds had on occasion tried to divert his attention to another part of the store. Cousins, nephews, sons, and daughters-in-law waited on the rest of the store, but Lee never left the cigar counter. The top of the glass was his desk. His fat, delicate hands rested on the glass, the fingers moving like small, restless sausages. A broad golden wedding ring on the middle finger of his left hand was his only jewelry, and with it he silently tapped on the rubber change mat from which the little rubber tits had long been worn. Lee's mouth was full and benevolent, and the flash of gold when he smiled was rich and warm. He wore half-glasses, and since he looked at everything through them...